Welcome to Mom Food Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the supported sponsor of Onco Farm at the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It's May 6, 2021, commencement day here for our pharmacy students. Uh, and it's a beautiful, just a gorgeous, picture-perfect East Tennessee day here uh, where I am. Uh, got some new drug approvals to catch up on and uh, kind of a focused update on HER2 amplified GI tumors, which ties into the new drug update. So let's get right to uh, dostarlamab, which was FDA approved on April 22nd. This is a PD-1 monoclonal antibody. Um, this approval was for mismatch repair deficient uh, advanced uh, recurrent endometrial cancer after progression uh, or failure of a prior platinum-containing regimen. Uh, this is uh, nothing uh, that I see really stands out about darstarlamab uh, compared to any other PD-1 monoclonal antibody. This is the first approval for this drug. It is in a very niche uh, disease state, mismatch repair deficient endometrial cancer. I want to point out that there was already an approval that covered this. Pembrolizumab already had that site agnostic approval for mismatch repair deficient or MSI high, microsatellite instability high tumors after you failed all other regimens, which would include this. Now that approval uh, for Pembro, um, for this anybody who had a mismatch repair deficiency that was high or, or MSI high, mismatch repair deficiency, that included 150 patients, um, 149 of those 149, 14 had endometrial cancer. Uh, uh, this dostarlamab study uh, had 71 patients with mismatch repair deficient advanced endometrial cancer. Uh, it's confirmed via the accelerated approval pathway, uh, as you would expect, unfortunately. Uh, confirmed response rate was 42%, 95% uh, confidence is 30 to 55% roughly. So you kind of have two options in this space, and uh, I'll, I'll point out here that the response rate in the PEMBRO arm, or the PEMBRO study, of those who had endometrial cancer, the N is only 14 patients, so the response rate was 36%, but the confidence interval is really wide. It goes from 13 to 65%. So of the two, if I had a, a, a unfortunate woman with advanced endometrial cancer that was mismatched, repair deficient, had failed chemotherapy, um, I would probably want to choose Dostarlamab, not because I think it's better, but uh, it's just been studied more. We have, we have a study of 71 patients. Now, there may be more studies out there specific to Pembro in this population, but just going off the labels, you know, I, I'm more confident that the actual response rate uh, with Dostarlamab is closer to 42% than I am with the 36% the with, with Pembro just because uh, there are only 14 patients with endometrial cancer that received it in that site agnostic study garnering its approval. All right, so that's a Dostarlamab. That's a fun one to say. All right, uh, April 23rd, the very next day, uh, the FDA approved uh, Longcastuximab uh, tesserine, or tesserine uh, for large B-cell lymphoma. So uh, Longcastuximab is a CD19 targeting monoclonal antibody conjugated to an alkylating agent that's the tesserine. Uh, and the actual alkylating agent there is, is SG3199. Why you need to know that, I don't know. This is an accelerated approval, as you, as you might guess, uh, for uh, relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma after two or more lines of systemic therapy, uh, including diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, NOS, uh, or, or diffuse large B-cell lymphoma that, that transform from a low-grade lymphoma. Now, this is the exact same approval that polituzumab vidotin got uh, a couple years ago. Now, pol polituzumab vidotin was approved in combination with bendamustine rituximab because it showed 
uh, a statistically significant improved response rate compared to bendamustine and rituximab. Now, BR is probably not, as we talked about at the time, not probably a go-to regimen for third-line treatment of, of aggressive B-cell lymphoma. Um, but at least it was shown to have a higher response rate versus a comparison. And again, response rate is not that great. Uh, uh, Longcatustamax testrine is approved on a response rate of about 50%, 48%, um, uh, in, uh, with no comparison. It's just, that's, it's just response rate in the, in the third line or worse setting. Uh, 145 patients did receive this drug. So, uh, you know, you know, you're probably gonna give these folks RCHOP, dosage our epoch potentially, uh, and then you know you're going to go on to you know DHAP or uh, ESHAP or ICE, RICE. You know there are lots of other chemo regimens, probably that you would ideally want to give these folks. Um, and coincidentally, there there does appear to be a pretty big OS benefit in this polituzumab vedotin versus BR. Polituzumab vedotin plus bendamustine rituximab versus BR. PBR was better than BR. Uh, and it does appear to have a sizable overall survival benefit um, from a 2019 publication in JCO. Not sure the statistical rigor of that because there are only 40 patients in each arm. I'm also, you know, BR is not great for large B-cell lymphomas. For aggressive lymphomas, we don't use bendamustine that much. So I use it for, for, for indolent uh, B-cell malignancies so much. So, uh, you know, it's hard, tough to see this drug being used a whole lot. But in case it is used, a uh, couple things I think are worth pointing out. The dosing here is kind of low, 0.15 mg per kg every three weeks for two cycles, and then 0.075 mg per kg every three cycles. So there is kind of this loading dose for the first two cycles. Um, you know, you give every three weeks for two cycles, uh, and then every three weeks thereafter. And the every three week dose is half of the every two week dose, and there is greater. Uh, efficacy and toxicity, it does appear to be concentration dependent, so you would expect maybe the most toxicity early on. There may be some rationale why they did that. I can't really garner that from the approval or from what I've read. Uh, as you might expect, as uh, an alkylating agent is really the payload here for this antibody drug conjugate, myelosuppression is common. Probably a nadir around two weeks since it's an every three-week drug, but we don't know that. Uh, you can see cutaneous reactions, so rashes, uh, and it has uh, a familiar uh, co- or pre-medication. Uh, dexamethasone, four milligrams POBID for three days starting the day before. Same sort of dosing you're used to for pemetrexid to prevent cutaneous reactions um, with uh, prior to pemetrexid. Now, whether I, I, I'm making an assumption. I do want to say this. I'm making an assumption that the dex pre-medication starting the day before for three days with uh, longcastuximab testerine is for cutaneous reactions. It's not spelled out. Uh, but that is that is my uh, assumption here. There's also a, a warning here for effusions and edema. Grade three pleural effusions occurred in three percent. Grade three edema in three percent, and grade three pericardial effusions in one percent. Not a common toxicity you see with antibody drug conjugants causing that. Uh, so that does cause a, a little bit of concern. So so this is longcatustamax testerine, kind of an interesting. You know, it's a CD19 targeting antibody. Uh, don't have uh, a lot of those, and it's a conjugate to an alkaline agent. Don't have a lot of those either. Most of our antibody drug conjugants, the payload is uh, as a microtubule poison. That's the vedotins. So to have an alkaline agent uh, as the payload is interesting. I would expect uh, people did well and live long enough that you could see some secondary malignancies from this um, because of that, uh, the way alkaline agents work, causing DNA crosslinks and just gunking up the DNA. All right, so that's longcatustamag tesserine. Uh, kind of more cool than it is probably useful for patients. 
All right, now uh, let's move on to this week. Yesterday, this is yesterday, yeah, May 5th, FDA approved uh, pembrolizumab for HER2-positive gastric cancer. Now, this is, I think, very interesting to me. So this approval is for trastuzumab um, uh, plus a fluoropyrimidine platinum-containing chemotherapy plus pembro for locally advanced, uh, that's unresectable, or metastatic HER2-positive uh, gastric or gastroesophageal junction uh, tumors. Now, this trastuzumab, cisplatin, and 5-FU is standard of care in this disease state based on the TOGA study. TOGA! Um, this utilized both cis, 5-FU, or KPOX plus trastuzumab and either pembrolizumab uh, or placebo, and it did not show an overall survival benefit. This is an accelerated approval uh, based on an overall response rate of 74% with Pembro compared to 52% uh, with a reporting of a one-sided p-value uh, that's very, very, very low, like four zeros before you get to the one. Um, the duration of response looks to be about 10 months in both arms, so a little odd. I would expect that we would see a progression-free survival benefit with the addition of Pembro uh, to kind of the standard TOGA regimen or KPOX plus trashies. I'm not sure why that hasn't been reported yet. Uh, complete response and, you know, PFS generally, you're looking at progression progression events versus death events oftentimes. Those are both assessed using the same resist criteria. So, you know, if you see a big difference in response rates, those people are responding rather than progressing uh, and that's possible. It's certainly possible that you could respond very well. Uh, so you had 74% response rate versus 52% response rate. It could be that of those, you know, the people that don't respond, they maybe have stable disease longer. And maybe you don't see a PFS benefit, but I, I would tend to think we would see a PFS benefit. Um, but, I, 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 you know, if there's an overall survival benefit to adding Pembro in the space, we should see it. Uh, because metastatic gastric cancer is not a good disease, unfortunately. Patients, you know, they do not do well with this. So uh, what that means is if the drug is going to have a meaningful improvement in prolonging the life of people with this disease, we should be able to see it relatively easy uh, in in a well-designed, uh, controlled uh, clinical trial here, which, you know, it's Keno 811, so they've already done 810 keynote studies, so it should be a pretty well-designed study. All right. So that's an accelerated approval. Really do want to see the publication to see what those PFS OSF curves look like. I also want to see what how effective this drug is um, in the upfront setting based on PDL1 uh, expression, because uh, we know that's an enriching biomarker. In general, the more PDL1 uh, that's expressed, uh, the better immunotherapy works for a lot of diseases, not every single disease. All right, which brings me to my last update. Uh, which is also in the HER2 amplified GI space. This was a, a phase, two pub, phase two study published in Lancet Oncology of trastuzumab deruxtecan uh, in HER2 amplified metastatic colorectal cancer. Uh, we talked about trastuzumab deruxtecan a lot this spring. I think of Seinfeld and the summer of George. This is like the spring of trastuzumab deruxtecan. So again, trastuzumab deruxtecan, that's uh, an SN38 payload uh, that's the uh, the active metabolite of antique. I talked about it a lot. Um, this was a phase two study looking at a couple different levels of expression of, of, of HER2 amplification. They report really the results of cohort A, which is uh, IHC3 plus or IHC2 plus if it was FISH positive. So IHC is immunohistochemistry. That's looking for uh, is there more of that protein expressed in the tumor? Is there more protein? Okay. Uh, that's pretty easy to do in the lab. Then FISH is fluorescent in situ hybridization. That's actually looking for the gene, the, the HER2 gene. 
uh, and is it there? All right. So there are a couple different ways you could you can assess this. IHC is usually what we do, and if IHC is not, if it's equivocal, we don't know. Then often we would go to the the, the fish. So this is just those that are kind of definitely expressing HER2 here, in cohort A. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, a, a response rate of 24% um, uh, out of uh, 53 patients. So about half had a response. Um, and I'm not saying that this is all that interesting. The drug is FDA approved, not for this indication, but it's already FDA approved for breast cancer. Um, and so people may be out there trying to you know, based on this study, trying to use this drug potentially uh, in this disease state. And I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but I'm saying I didn't know that we were doing HER2-directed therapy for colon cancer. This was somewhat, uh, this was somewhat uh, news to me. Oh yeah, trastuzumab-directed also FDA-approved for, uh, for gastric cancer, that's HER2-positive. So this caused me to do a little bit of research on this, and we do have in our favorite guidelines mention of this trial, along with some other studies. They're all phase two studies that all report response rate, all right? So does HER2-directed uh, HER therapy in colorectal cancer uh, lead to better survival? That's a question that we don't know the answer to from my research. So we have overall response rates of 32% uh, with trastuzumab and pertuzumab in a study of 57 patients. That's called My Pathway. There's the TAPER study, which is an ASCO-funded uh, study, response rate of 14%. Uh, out of 28 patients uh, who received trastuzumab and pertuzumab, uh, Heracles response rate of 30% with tra trastuzumab plus lapatinib, and here you have a response rate that, that, that really looks to be higher than those at 45%. Again, uh, cross-trial comparison caveats, uh, of course. Uh, now, there are obviously this, there are the concerns of is this better than just giving people capecitabine again? Um, you know, our favorite guidelines mention these as options for people that aren't candidates for intensive regimens. There aren't a lot of colon cancer regimens I would call intensive, right? There's no 7 plus 3. There's no high DAC for, uh, for, for colon uh, cancer. And oftentimes in practice, if somebody, you know, they get adjuvant Folfox, they have disease progression two years ago, then they get full 30 plus Bev or full 40 plus Cetuximab or whatever, after they go through everything, sometimes people just go back to Folfox, and they have some good clinical benefit and stable disease on just Folfox or just capecitabine alone, which, uh, you know, show me show me that it's better than just capecitabine, and uh, I'll be a believer uh, in your drug. Uh, I failed to point out that all these patients were RAS and BRAF uh, wild types, so no mutations in RAS uh, or BRAF V600E, uh, so those need to be tested as well if you're considering using these drugs, which our favorite guidelines actually suggest to test for those things, despite, uh, from what I can see, no benefit, uh, no proven benefit over uh, reusing a drug like capecitabine, which again, is often done in clinical practice. Uh, and I have to point out here, uh, five patients uh, had uh, interstitial lung disease or pneumonitis. Um, uh, two of them were grade five. So, you know, there were some tribulated deaths due to pneumonitis, which is fairly common in this drug. This is not like a unique thing to this patient population. It's the drug. We see interstitial lung disease rates of 9% in the breast cancer study, 10% uh, with gastric cancer. Um, so, uh, you know, in 2.6% fatal ILD, uh, I believe, in the breast cancer study, uh, there is a black boxed warning for interstitial lung disease with this drug. Uh, so certainly has uh, some cautions and caveats that go along with using it, but that's uh, just, just kind of the update on HER2 amplified colon cancer uh, and, and using HER2-directed therapy. Uh, doesn't appear to be ready for prime time yet from looking at, at that literature. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate uh, you know your ears. 
uh, in your downloads. Um, thank you for listening uh, again for the second time uh, this week. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeepDip. You can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.